Okay, welcome to episode 13 of Sparks of Madness. Um, first of all, thanks to everyone who listened last week um, to episode 12, which was me talking to myself and then answering questions sent in from uh, various people via various methods. So really enjoyed doing that. It was weird sitting talking to myself uh, for a while, but I, I think it was all right. I've had some positive feedback, so really appreciate that. Uh, you'll be pleased to know, though, that this week we do have a guest, um, and uh, I'm really pleased that it is um, someone who um, was there on day one of uh, my comedy career, if you like, and has been there throughout. She's the person I have gigged with most and enjoyed doing so. Um, we quite often travel to gigs together, and when I'm booking gigs, whenever I book somewhere that's new, she's one of the first people I go to because she's very funny. She's very reliable, and uh, she's someone that that I really relate to, and and uh, and I love her to bits. So she, um, and also we work together. Um, so I actually I like her so much. I hired her to work with me in my day job. Uh, I am her boss, uh, but I don't think that comes across too much in the podcast that you're about to hear because we are very much peers. Um, and uh, speaking of peers, she hates Piers Morgan as do I. So that's another. Uh, another thing we bond over but anyway we talk in this episode we talk about um mental health and its relation to comedy but also mental health and its relation relationship to food and healthy eating and unhealthy eating um carrie and i are both how should we say uh, a little on the heavy side uh, neither of us have had particularly healthy relationships with food over the years and it's something we both talk about we have sometimes different attitudes about it sometimes very similar attitudes about it so we talk quite a bit about that um which is a new area for the podcast really we haven't really talked about that so um i hope you enjoy it we talk as i say about food about mental health about comedy talk about women in the industry we talk about the the me too movement that happened recently um all of that so uh, i think there's a lot to get your teeth into and i hope you enjoy it so episode 13 the fantastic kerry robinson Hello and welcome to episode 13 of Sparks of Madness um, and my guest this week is uh, probably the person in comedy I know the best I would say um, for, for various reasons uh, and it's uh, the wonderful Kerry Robinson. Hi Kerry, how are you doing? Hello, I'm doing very well, thank you. Brilliant, it's nice to speak to you although we speak all the time so I'm not going to pretend yeah. to people listening that we're not people who regularly speak the main reason for that is that we work together on a daily basis in our yes. day job um so um we, we'll get that out there full disclosure you know we do spend an awful lot of time speaking to each other although it has been about four over four months since we've worked in the same office because of the coronavirus lockdown um so it'll be weird having a conversation this long with you probably the longest time we've spoken since march yeah, um, I thought this was our. Year. I thought this was my appraisal. Is that not what's happening? No, now? no, right. you don't. I, I wouldn't book in an appraisal for that long with you if I was planning <laughs> to, to look at your work. You're shit, get off. No <laughs> 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 idol. Um, but I just like the fact that even though you're working from home, you're regularly still late. I think that's fantastic. It's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> it's a, I think it's a really, really like skill that I've got. I've got it down yeah. to fine art. But no, um, but so so for context to people listening, then uh, you and I started comedy at the same time. We did um, on the same course. Which, if anyone's listened to a few of these episodes on here, we've now had um, you're the third um, person from that group. Um, four, if you count the person that ran it. So we've had um, previously we've had uh, S. J. Cook. Um, who else have we had that did the course? Oh, Jem Stewart. Yeah. Um, and obviously we had James Jim James, Bays, um, yeah. who ran the course. Um, so, you know, out of 13 episodes, I'm definitely mining that well, <laughs> quite well. <But laughs> we did that. We started that in November 18. And then uh, four months later, um, I told you about a job yeah. at my place of work that would involve working for me and said, if you didn't think that would be too weird, would you like to apply for it? And now we've worked together for, I know. A, you know, covering it, well, it must be 18 months now. So, yeah, about that. Um, yeah, so that's weird. Um, it's weird, so, but it's nice because we both know what each other does 
outside yeah. of work, so it it yeah. helps massively. I think so. Yeah. Um, it's it's uh it's certainly I don't know of that many people who have that kind of thing. We're certainly at the level we're at, where we're we're, we're sort of getting getting paid semi regularly for comedy, but still yeah. have a day job to hold down. Yeah. At least at least you know your boss isn't going to be a prick to you unless you're competing with me for a gig. Um, well, you're a prick anyway. You but, not having the time. Yeah, but not in that <laughs> way. <Yeah. laughs> but if we're up for the same gig, then you're not having the time off. Totally, so. <laughs> totally. I totally understand that. <laughs> um, so one thing, no, I don't. I mean, I, I sort of know this story, but what is it that made you decide to actually do that comedy course back in November eighteen? So um, it was like September, October, wasn't it? We did the course, and in November there was a performance. Yes, yes. We. It was. Because I've been the relationship I got into with my bloke Steve, he performs music regularly, and we went to a lot of open mics where there was a lot of different kind of music, a bit of poetry, and I just thought I saw these people that were getting up on stage all the time, doing these amazing things, and thinking I really want to challenge myself like that. And I'm not really a musical person, really. If anyone's seen me video singing, they know that, but. Mm. Um, I thought I've always wanted to do comedy. It's been my biggest passion from being about 14, 15. Um, I was always too frightened. And then a couple of people did some comedy. So um, Jack Vincent mm-hmm. did the Ultra before us. And then Stacey Mellor did Silky's course at Laugh and Leeds. And they pretty much did them about a month apart. And I, I watched their performances and I really enjoyed them. And I thought, do you know what? I've seen this advertised. So I'm just going to do it. Because if I don't do it now, I'm never going to do it. And I feel like I need to challenge myself. And I'm I'm so, so glad I did. I'm so glad I, I took that leap, really. Um, mm. It's been an amazing 18 months, really. Mm. And I, I remember, so the, the process of that course again, for those who may be not familiar with how that would work, was that basically for eight weeks in a in an upstairs room in a pub in Leeds, um, we would get together as a group. And I think by the time we... There were about 20 of us that dwindled to 15 yeah. by the time we did the performance. And we would each week work through different methods of writing material and then get up and practice in front of each other. And um, there were only... Uh, out of the 15 of us, I think there was just you and one other female performer. Yeah, um, just me and, and Marie. Then, yeah, you and Marie Fawcett and, and um, very different styles. And yeah. I suppose that was the first time I'd looked at comedy from the other side as not mm. being a performer. And it stuck in my mind from then that women were very much in the minority in comedy at, at pretty much every level. Yeah. Has that been something that you've felt yourself and if so what what is there anything you would you know see that as an advantage or that there are fewer of you or is it a disadvantage or how do you look at that so it's a bit yes and no because I know there's like collectives of women that do gigs so in Leicester there's Tickle Pink in Manchester mm. there's quite a an active sort of female um group um with laughing cows and laughing calves there's definitely not that in West Yorkshire um, mm. that seems to be lacking and you definitely do notice whenever you go to gigs that you are either the one woman on the bill or there's maybe another one um, so you definitely notice that you are the minority and I've never really it's never really bothered me I've, I've always been relatively confident in terms of being the only woman somewhere but Sometimes I have noticed, particularly when I gig with younger people, younger lads, mm. um, <clears throat> that I tend to get ignored a little bit. Mm. Um, and I don't know whether that's just because they want to just chat with their own group of people or whether it's that, well, I don't know whether I'm going to have anything in common with that woman. And then after I've been on stage, generally that's when they'll come and speak to me. Mm. Um because obviously they've seen me on stage and, and seen that I'm relatively confident. But, mm. yeah, you do find that you do get ignored a little bit. Um, not all the time, and most people are brilliant. But mm. the the occasions it happens, you really notice it. Yeah. 
It's tricky as well because at our level, quite often, there's not a green room as such. There's normally no. an area of whatever venue you're performing in where the acts will congregate. Yeah. Um, and you and and, to, and my, certainly my my thing is I like to watch because I tend to go on later in the bills unless I'm opening up. Um, I like to watch the the other acts and the yeah. room and get a feel for the room anyway. Definitely. But yeah, I, I think I know what you mean. It, it, it's generationally because you and I are both in our sort of early forties. Um, I think that sometimes the younger acts can be heading. I mean, I'm quite often heading my phone anyway, but you know, heading a phone yeah. or gravitate towards their mates because quite often acts of that sort of age will bring their mates along, whereas all of our mates are like kids or whatever, or you know, or nursing a divorce or whatever they're doing at our age. But um, yeah. you know, it's, it's it's a little bit different. But yeah, I've always I've, I've always been sort of really conscious that that um, you know, from the very beginning, you will you know. The, the proportion was about one in eight. And then yeah. when you go on to the open mic nights that have mm-hmm. six, seven, eight acts, quite often you'd be the only acts. And it's always been something that, that I've, I've been conscious of on your behalf, if you like. But um, no, that's, that's interesting. So your your style on stage is, is I think, interesting because you're, quite, you're very confident, you're very assured. Yeah. Um, and um, you're... Your delivery is very natural. Um, would you say? Would you compare yourself to anyone that is maybe a household name? Uh, would you, if you, if because there, there are some potentially obvious comparisons that I think would be wider the mark that people might make. But well, there's a there's wondered. a massive comparison that everyone always goes like, oh, Joe Brand. It's like, yeah, we're fat. Yeah, we've got red hair. But I don't yeah, think I'm like her at though, all. Yeah, I don't think I'm like yeah. her at all. I think if anything. I could water down Sarah Millican a little bit because um, mm. she's more conversational, more anecdotal, yeah. that kind of thing. And that's 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 my my kind of act, I think. Yeah, um, I think the Joe Brand one is a, is a comparison that people will make it, like you say, based on maybe yeah. appearance and have you, but it's it's a it's a, a lazy one, I it think. Really but is. also, it is wider them up because certainly the Joe Brand stuff. Maybe not so much now because I think she's mellowed yeah. in her tone a bit. But when she was in her prime, and she was all you know doing stand-up sets on the telly a lot, she was quite aggressive, conf- sort of mm. confrontational in your face, and um, sort of unapologetically. Um, I wouldn't. Say, she had a reputation for being sort of almost man-hating, and yeah, she, she absolutely did. But, but that that was the perception, and and yeah, I think you, I think you are much closer to the mark with the Sarah Millican style kind of yeah. conversational, cheeky, yeah. um, happy to put yourself down, but not not in a in a sort of a a way that's going to make people uncomfortable, particularly. No. But that brings me on to the other thing. Now you've you've mentioned it as well. You, you know you you're a, you use the word fat i mean i am that's fat that's your choice well yeah me too it is. <laughs> from pair of fat is but um <laughs> it's it's something that you know you and i have talked about before um it's very easy i think uh, that particularly uh entry level of comedy and in the first couple of years of performing one of the easiest things traps to fall into and i think we've probably all done it is that you break the ice in your set with um, a joke about how you look. Yeah. And particularly if you are uh, fat, heavy, overweight, whatever you want to call it, it's very easy to slag yourself off based on your appearance. And then I've always wondered whether that is, A, it's risky, you're setting off on on the wrong foot, because you're you're getting them to laugh almost at you and with you instead of just with you, and and whether it's um, you're selling yourself short perhaps because you're very politically I suppose and socially you're extremely um, passionate about body positivity, yeah. very anti anti fat shaming etc. Yeah. But it's quite easy to go on stage and fat shame yourself. I think so, it's that thing of I'm going to make the joke before anyone else does. Yeah. Um, you know, I know what they're thinking because I've lived as a fat person from being a very young age and mm. have heard every single insult you can you can think of that's been shouted mm. at me, has been said to my face. So I'm making the joke and saying, Yeah, I know what I look like. You don't need to make that joke. Um that's that's the way I approach it. Um 
because it is the most obvious thing apart from obviously the the pink hair and the tattoos which i think i just Mm. like to add a little bit of weirdness to the Mm. fatness so you know i might as well get them staring at me for a whole host of reasons than just being fat Mm. um but i do sometimes think should i be making these jokes because i am quite um you know personally quite anti-fat shame and i don't think it's something that's healthy but then again, I do think it's something that needs to be mentioned. And I, I do say I like being fat because it really annoys arseholes. So I think I'm kind of setting my star out to say, do you know mm. what? Yeah, fat. People like to laugh at fat people. But actually, you've been a bit of a prick for doing that. Um, and that's mm. I think that's something I'd like to get a little bit cleverer at as time goes on. Uh, you know, the nod to the fact that, yeah, I know what I look like, but do you know what? I think people who do that are pricks. But, um, yeah, yeah it's, it's... And it's fine. I suppose the difficulty then is finding the funny in that and finding the humour yes, in that without definitely. necessarily... Because because actually, you know, heckling happens quite... In my experience, anyway, happens quite rarely. I've, yeah. I, I've not had, and I don't know about you, but I've not had that experience that, that people outside of comedy always assume is going to happen where... You're gonna get oh you fat prick on stage. Yeah. And Very rare. Um, and it's happened and once both to of me. Us. Yeah. Where and where was that? That was in Manchester. It was, it was the comedy balloon, and he didn't shout out. Um, I yeah. made I say something in my set that basically said about um, I can't remember what it was now because it's that long ago and I've changed my set. But it was about um, Michael. Ah, it was about Michael Burke talking about how fat people are weak and we should just let them die. And this guy said at the front of, he was sat quite near the front, just went, yes, I agree. <laughs> and everyone went quiet. And I wish at that moment I'd been quick enough. I think this comes with experience to just go, Dad, you've come. How lovely. <laughs> yeah. um, but I didn't. And everyone just sort of went quiet and... I then just carried on with what I was doing and, you know, it didn't really affect my performance. I'm just angry at myself that I didn't get that comeback in. So, so it's the missed opportunity that yeah. you're more... Yeah, I mean, I've I've genuinely not had... And I think that's that's one of those where he's probably... And if he'd said anything, he would have probably been like, oh, fuck, she heard me. Oh, but yeah. the, the full-on in-your-face stuff just hasn't happened yet to me. No. I know it will at some point, but, you know, from what I've heard, it's mainly like Glasgow and Newcastle you need to worry. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, it, it it strikes me that I know I so I, I don't, I don't sort of talk about being fat much on stage. I make a few slight references to it. Yeah. Um, I do a bit of material about paper straws from McDonald's, and yeah. I always joke about you know it, I've ordered a McDonald's because it's been about half an hour since I've eaten or something like that. Just a little throwaway gag, yeah. so that it's out there. But I, I've never sort of unloaded on myself, if you like. But it's certainly an area where I'd like to see generally people being cleverer about it. Definitely. I'd like to see more, some more nuance and some more yeah. Um, yeah. intelligent humour about it because I think that particularly at the moment, it's politically, it's in the news and it's not going away. It um, really isn't. COVID has, has brought it to the forefront. You know, we've got Jamie Oliver banging on about it. Now you and I have very different opinions about what he's <laughs> doing in that sphere because you think he's a prick and I think, I think he's a prick, but not for that reason. Um, you know, we've got... There's a whole realm of stuff that, because the body positivity movement, if you like, is quite a powerful movement online. It is. But I've not really seen it addressed by anyone in the comedy world, really. No, I can't I, think yeah. of anyone out there, even as a sort of household name, who doesn't much material about um, about that that yeah. isn't joining in with the fat shaming. Yeah, I, you know, on social media, I you know do follow a lot of sort of body positive and fat acceptance people on Insta, and I'm part of a couple of groups that are very um, like staunchly, you know, anti diets and that kind of thing. And I am mm. generally very much against diets that you have to pay for because I think mm. they're bound to fail, they're doomed to fail. Um, but I have actually betrayed 
all of those people because since January I've actually been um sort of managing what I eat and also exercising because my mm. fitness levels were just shocking um so and I felt like it's a dirty little secret that I've started doing that and I don't want to sort of be out there going oh yeah I'm actually sort of watching what I eat and exercising but I actually feel tons better and so sometimes the arguments that they have sometimes I want to go yeah but you know, I actually feel a lot better. I've lost nearly two stone mm. since January, mm. and it's like I do actually feel better. But that's where the new really... comes in, I think, because it's yeah. it's that thing of so just because you have taken a position that says, you know, shaming people who are fat for being fat is doing nobody any good, really and is only going to make it worse. Just because you've taken that position doesn't necessarily mean that you shouldn't be able to take the decision to change how you eat and exercise because you want to feel the health benefits mm. that, that you associate with that. And I think that that's where perhaps, you know, to bring it back to comedy, that's what possibly why there's a, it's one of those issues that doesn't really get talked about very cleverly because it's, it's really easy just to say, Exercise more, eat less, you fat yeah, prick. That's and, it. And no one ever looked know, at the psychological issues around it. Um, yeah. And that obviously leads into my own mental health, which is, mm. and people probably don't believe that there is something like food addiction or don't don't prescribe to, it is just that, oh, you're just lazy and you eat too much. Well, yeah, that's absolutely true. I was lazy and I did eat too much, but there are reasons why I did that. Um yeah. You know, a lot of mine but, been... nobody knows more about, in my opinion, as a collective group in society, nobody understands more the, you know, what good nutrition looks like, what healthy eating looks like, what healthy exercise looks like, than the people who are suffering because they haven't done that. Yeah. <laughs> so that's my opinion of it. I understand as a fa- as someone who's had, you know, I don't want to say a weight battle, but my weight has fluctuated mm. throughout my life since adolescence to very heavy, to to healthy, to heavy, to, you know, fluctuated regularly. I understand all of the, the methodologies and the Me logic too. and the science behind it, but yet still struggle to to do it and that is where because my mind isn't healthy enough my yes. my emotions are not healthy enough absolutely for me to cope with living like that yeah. and people who don't have those issues won't understand it they might be the same people though who you know smoke 30 fags a day through stress or drink heavily or abuse drugs yeah. or gamble or you know, have unhealthy relationships with their, with people around them yeah. as a side effect of stress, anxiety, depression, or what have you. But for people like you and me, the way we sometimes make ourselves feel better is to eat. It really is. <laughs> and it's to like, eat unhealthily. Yeah. It's like your best mate and your worst enemy mm. at the same time. And, um, you know, mine's been through decades of disordered eating. And mm. like you're saying, nobody knows better how people get fat than fat people. And yeah. sometimes I think they just need to come and ask us and say, you know, why? And generally, you probably find out that most people who are not everybody, of course, but some people have had some kind of trauma or some issue that has meant that food has become their their thing that they can control. And I know that people with eating disorders like anorexia and bulimia say that it's the one thing they can control in the life. Mm. And it's the same for people mm. who are fat, although we're doing yeah. it in a completely different way. It's the one thing that you have total control over. Um, yeah, and, that and, and that's the interesting it's, thing. It's, it's viewed very differently, though, isn't it? Yeah. The two, end, two opposite ends of the disordered eating yeah. spectrum, if you want to call it that, are viewed so differently because people who are whether they're body dysmorphic, anorexic, bulimic, any of those sort of eating disorders that are associated with dramatic and unhealthy and potentially deadly weight loss are treated so much more sympathetically and with some degrees of understanding than people at the other end of the spectrum who are, you know, overeating, unhealthy weight gain, potentially deadly unhealthy weight gain, 
and one group are seen as needing help and one group are seen as they should help themselves and yeah. I think that's a real contrast um and I, I was listening to the debate last week about the new government initiatives um and and some you know and actually quite liberal people who normally would be slating Boris Johnson praising him for taking action but thinking that what was missing was the mental health links to all of those issues so you can talk about let's get everyone out on a bike let's get you know let's prescribe cycling from the doctor i don't know how the fuck that would work but no, it sounds I'm good sure you know um but very little was in the initial rhetoric at least about understanding the causes it's all about treating the effects and not necessarily yeah. understanding the causes and that's and, the thing well, it's it, when they deal with people who, who are alcoholic or have got drug addictions if you go into treatment then they treat everything it's not just about the physical aspect of it although that's a massive part of it they don't you know all all doctors ever say to you is well you just need to control what you're eating make a food Mm. diary it's like well that doesn't actually help me work out what's wrong in my brain to why this happens um and it's taken me a really long time to get to a place where like you were saying it's really interesting that healthy mind and being well and then being able to deal with you know Mm. your weight or that kind of thing I definitely find that because I'm really happy I'm in a really good relationship you know my kids are fine and and all those kind of things the things that you worry about and I'm 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 well I you know I haven't had a, a serious depressive episode for quite a long time um that I can actually cope with working out what I can and can't eat and doing exercise yeah. and just looking after myself more. Cause it is, it is an element of not looking after yourself and neglecting yourself, yes. uh, not investing in yourself because you don't feel like you deserve to be looked after when you're feeling that rubbish. So it's, it's a massive cycle in it really psychologically it is i think it's 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 a vicious circle as well i mean uh, generally my my sort of problems would be uh, i wouldn't call it secret eating but eating in isolation yes yeah um eating when i'm on my own yeah um and um and then that can become a vicious circle because it's that and i suppose that's where the parallels between that and other potential i say other but addictions might come in in that you could be doing quite well but if you fall off the wagon with food it's really easy just to stay off the fucking wagon yeah it's what i would call hit the fuck it button oh well i've fallen off the wagon i might as well well just you know and i'll start again next week and all that you know and and so in terms of seeing it as an addiction as well you you mentioned that earlier and that's quite interesting because i i um I won't say who, uh, but someone who who I is in my sort of family sphere, if you mm. like, my family orbit, is uh, um, recent in the last couple of years has has joined Overeaters Anonymous, yeah. um, which is the effectively the the food um, equivalent of Alcoholics Anonymous. Yeah. And, you know, drug, you know, so and and it's a twelve step program, and it and it and it you know they've worked through that process and I was kind of skeptical at first not of it being an addiction but of how to treat it like one because of course with everything else be it drugs alcohol gambling whatever abstinence total Mm -hmm. abstinence is possible yeah you can't not eat exactly and that's that's, I think is the crux of the issue I think is that you can abstain from the other things, but yeah, you can't not eat. Um, and also, you get really upset just having to eat lettuce all the time. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, the, the way that, that that it works for them is, I mean, they've, they've gone through the twelve step process, which is weird but yeah. for me because I got a, a call out of the blue, and they were going through the making amends phase of the twelve step process, which anyone who's been through it might be familiar with. Yeah. And they wanted to sit and talk about almost our relationship over the years and times that they felt they'd let me down and apologise and whatever, and and it sort of felt a bit awkward because we're British and we don't do yeah. that sort of thing. It's weird, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. But then, um, but then the rules around food are are almost fascinating, and, it, and it's you know there are certain foods that they'll never eat, so chocolate, you know, cake and shit like that. Um, it's not just not part of it. But then the rest of it is, you know, you can have as much as you want on one plate, but you don't go back for seconds. Of of all the foods that are kind of not seen as 
toxic, I suppose, in terms of addiction. You can have a, as much as you want on your one plate, and yeah. that's your meal for that meal. And there's no seconds, there's no going back. And and it, and it was like, so I sort of thought, okay, that, I get that. And then, it, and it has changed their life for the better. It has. Um, they 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 are much happier. Yeah. Uh, physically, much healthier. I saw them yeah. recently, and you know, certainly during lockdown, because that would have been a time when I might have worried about a possible relapse. I suppose. You know, mm. it's looking great and stuff. But I, I don't. For me, I don't think that 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 is the answer for me. And I think that's the other issue with with weight and mental health and all of that is that there are so many possible solutions and like you say the ones that you pay for are designed i think to keep you locked in so they are, you know definitely. you talk about a slimming world weight watchers world, type weight model. watchers and, and there are the moment you stop, restrictive as well that's it the moment you start yeah. you bang the weight back on again because yeah. you've starved your body of x y or z so as soon as you start eating normally again then you bang the weight back on and that is that's essentially i think most people most people who've got a weight issue that's that's their reality is that we've all tried them all um we've all tried the different weird diets you know like peter k with a soup diet and keto mm. and atkins before that and but because you're restricting you're going to bang all the weight back on again um mm. i did i started on just doing my fitness pal and just just counting calories basic counting calories and also doing exercise because it meant that if I did some exercise I could have more treats so that's how that works for me and that's psychologically quite mm. good um and it it kind of proved that because I wasn't restricting anything um I didn't do it for a little bit during lockdown and I sort of only gained a pound or two in the few months that I didn't do it. Because Whereas, although you weren't consciously doing yeah, it, your habits had changed. Absolutely. Mm. I'd changed what how I was thinking about food yeah. and stuff. So it, it was really interesting. And so then, in terms of your mental health then, would you say that... Um, a, presumably, from what you've said as well, you were in a, you were in a better place to be able to start that process mentally. Yeah. yeah. And then has that become kind of um uh, a symbiotic thing where the more you've done that the better your mental health the more strong you are to follow that eating plan and so on yeah that definitely. Kind of, it's been like a productive yeah. cycle rather than a destructive one definitely um you know it's been it's been about five years since my real my worst um most recent depressive episode mm. Um, and that was not long after I'd sort of moved into my own. I'd separated from my husband and had moved into my own flat. And I think because I'd been living in this weird kind of crisis before that happened, when I moved and was quite happy, my brain just went, oh, what's going on? And I just became really ill. And I had to take a little bit of time off work because I was just... Um, either panic attacks, huge panic attacks, or just really, mm. really just catatonic, where you, you sat sort of numb and not being able to do anything. Yeah. And touch wood, I've not had that for quite some time. Um, I do take medication. I'm on, you know, a fair so bit. So you're, you're on meds at the moment? I'm on meds at the moment. I have been, I have really been taking antidepressants pretty much since my children were born and they're 14 now. Right. So I've been on medication for quite a long time and, and before that there was you know bouts where I would have to take medication I think I've probably been I've had mental health issues from being a teenager mm. I certainly know the anxiety aspect of things there's certain things I look back at now and go oh yeah that I was definitely having a panic attack then or I was definitely really anxious at that point um and I do certain behaviors to avoid situations that made me anxious. Um, mm. So that's been something. But touch wood, I've not had anything for the last few years. And I think that's just because I'm in a, a better place, a more stable place. Um, mm. As much as I say my boyfriend's a prick on stage, he's, he's not really. He's, he's really no, I've met him, he's a prick. He yeah, is, he's a prick. But... Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's a massive nice um, But, um, you know, I'm in a really good place. I mean, and I think that's helped massively. Um, 
but yeah, it, the anxiety for me is more distressing than depression because mm. that that is just you know you're having a whole kind of battle with your own men with your your own brain and how you're processing information and you you you're like you're being lied to by your brain tricking itself. Yeah, it's just. Yeah, your, your rational, your rational brain and your irrational yeah. brain are odds with each other, and and oh. all of that is again, and I've touched on it in this podcast time and time again. All of that, when you add it all up, says rationally, you have no business going on stage and laying yourself bare I know. to people for approval because you, it's the the risk of self sabotage is yeah. huge. It, you're so vulnerable so out there, aren't you? <laughs> And I don't I, I don't know so. why we I do it. Like him, you know. <laughs> but but then weirdly and I and I, I don't want to speak for you, but I've I've bloody hell I've gigged with you enough because I think I think you're probably the person who's done the most gigs with me. Probably, yeah. Out of all the people I've gig regularly because I've, I've booked you for every gig I've ever run. I know. Um, Thank you. <laughs> um, that's right, yeah. Um so neither of us, I think feel vulnerable up there but yet we are vulnerable up there if you know what I mean yeah but I don't feel vulnerable vulnerable. no feel Um, quite in control and and I think it was something that I was worried about um and I don't know if you were is that if you had a bad gig or it went badly how would you feel after that and it's like how the hell am I gonna spiral this am I gonna yeah am I gonna spiral is it and do you know what I haven't I've I've kind of invoked Millican's law of not worrying about it past 11 o'clock um and I've been yeah. really I've surprised myself actually at how I've been able to go yeah that was shit maybe it was me maybe it was the, whatever but let's just move on and move on to the next one and I've also learned and maybe adapted my set because of yeah. something from a previous gig I thought well that didn't work so maybe if I do this so, I think where we're both quite lucky is, so obviously we work together, so quite often we'll talk through yes. stuff like that yeah. on someone else's dime while we're getting paid. Yeah. <laughs> um, but also we, we, we've both talked a lot about the support networks that you form from other acts. I know yeah. you've got a, a sort of a, a, a nice sort of support network of, of female acts that you've got. Oh, with yeah. We we you talk know, we, every since lockdown started. We've had these little chats um, on a yeah. Tuesday, and we were saying last night just how amazing it's been to be able to have these chats, and we get to really know each other because we we knew each mm. other before, but not as well as we have done since lockdown started, and it's been amazing. But just generally meeting the people that I've met, including yourself. It's, that has been the the number one brilliant thing about comedies that I've met so many brilliant people that are just so lovely and uh, are really supportive as well. Um, and that's the thing, isn't it? When you have a difficult gig or when you maybe get feedback that yeah that pops your bubble for a bit or yeah. whatever. I certainly know that you and I both have talked not talked to each other off the ledge because that sounds really fucking <laughs> dramatic, but just just manage to put things into yes. a sense of perspective and context Definitely. about how maybe, you know, that gong show actually fuck it, it doesn't matter. Or no. or, you know, that that lineup was set up so that you're not gonna be in the right place. You know, and, yeah. and we, we're able to kind of pull apart the technicalities of it, I suppose. Yes. And and add that degree of rationality where I genuinely think if if I didn't have someone like you to talk to as as readily available as as work allows um then i think that that would be a harder process to go through because oh, a doubt. we know each other's material inside out yeah we know each other's style inside out and then you can just go well actually i've seen you do that bit of material 10 times and you've nailed it every time so unless you've done something fundamentally different on the night which you're lying out it's just one of those nights to yeah about it, or whatever that's the, it whatever the kind of rationale is and also we're both really keen to learn yeah i think and we've, and we've talked stuff through from a learning point of view regularly which i think is really positive massively and like we you know we re- from the start we recorded each other's sets mm. as well which i think has been really important because 
it's all very well and good when you're stood on stage, but you have no real judgment. Yeah, you get the the immediate laughs, but you don't get the flow of your words and how they come across sometimes. So it's really good to be able to watch it and go, I know why that didn't work now, or, oh, that sounded really good. And it's like those little ad-libs, those throwaways that you might say on the night that you think, oh, I'll keep that. Um, So that's been really, really good to be able to sort of review your work all the time and, and learn and try and adapt. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm actually starting a new writing course on Monday with, oh, with Silky. Um, I thought I might as well do it. it. Yeah. Um, that, that, honestly, found it. I found it brilliant. So good luck with that. Yeah. So, I know Silky runs really good courses. Yeah, so really sure good. That's going to go really well. <clears> really looking forward it, to it. How long's the course? I don't actually know. <laughs> it's just <laughs> well, some well. some number of weeks. I think but I think it's I think it, it was really because I want I want to be able to kind of come out of lockdown with new stuff um yeah. so I'm not just relying on the things that I've done from day one basically so um that's what I want to try and do because before lockdown I was kind of progressing quite well um mm. so I'd like to you know carry on that momentum it's going to be difficult, obviously. Yeah. yeah, but it's going to be really difficult because it's everyone's clamouring out there at the minute. So. Yeah, and I think there's going to be lots of false starts as well. Yeah, there's going to be lots massively. Of gigs that gigs that get up and running and then get pulled, or yeah. or you know the first gig back will be there and then there'll be no more and stuff like yeah. that. So I think we all need to be realistic about that. But no, Definitely. that's really good. I mean, I, I've just done an eight week course with Meryl O'Rourke, who's yeah. fantastic. She's brilliant. And I was looking back last night at the material. That I've generated as a result, and I mean, I've, I reckon I've, I could go and do a brand new five with nothing I've said previously that would be markedly different from what I've done before. Yeah, but still in my style, and and that means then that you know when we're looking at my ten and my twenty minute sets, they're going to be stronger. You can and you can evolve your, your process, and so so really, I'm really pleased you're doing that. That's great to hear. That's, yeah, you know, be, I will be looking forward to seeing your homework. Yes, <laughs> um, it's going to be um, really interesting. It really is. Um, no, it's good. Yeah, because I like and, to and, and also you get enthused as well. Yes. You get you reengaged and massively, massively. Um, mentioned the fact that you've got your sort of all-female support network and I've touched on that sort of issue a couple of times it's been a weird time in comedy over the last couple of months probably the last month or so soon after the Black Lives Matter sort of thing yeah um, happened and that seems to have died away a little bit but then there were um starting with some stuff that had happened in America mm-hmm. and there was a bit of a, a, a wave of comedy having its own kind of me too movement I've talked yeah. about that on here in a previous episode with um Elizabeth Vanta Black yes yeah um yeah. that you had some kind of strong opinions about that kind of issue and, and it's interesting because you're someone who who hasn't sort of had stuff happen thankfully but you know obviously of plenty of people that do definitely what's the in in your all-female group then so what's the does it get talked about do do blokes get talked about potential you know the bad guys the the guys that are crossing the line what's the i think what happens we we discuss things that you might see on the forums for definite those kind of things get talked about um and I certainly know if there was somebody that we all knew that was a little bit inappropriate or had acted inappropriately, we definitely let each other know. Definitely. Mm. Um, thankfully, you know, I've not seen it, um, but I absolutely know it goes on. I think there's some mm. times where, I don't know, this might be really controversial to say, is that... Um, some things that that offend other people might not offend me. Yeah. Um, but I think that's that's true for everyone. So some of the things that I might see on forums might go, well, I found that quite funny. And then mm. others, somebody else say, well, I didn't find it funny because of X, Y, and Z. And I can understand that. Um, but there is, you know this, we all know, it, it is a very laddie culture. It um, is. And, and I mean, you and I have spoken about, you know, so uh, I think, and, and you know, I've been quite vocal about 
certainly on this podcast and on the forums about when I'm working as a promoter, wanting to yeah. do better to make sure that women feel safer. Yeah. And I've, I've sort of you, I've sought advice from you and a few other female mm. acts about how to go about that. But at the same time, as I, as, a, as someone who's an act, if I, you know, I, I will freely admit that if I'm in a, a car full of lads going to a gig, you know, we will talk about things that we wouldn't talk about in front of a woman and we'll, we'll have disgusting conversations. And, and anyone who thinks that isn't going to happen is extremely naive. Absolutely. I think that you have to modify your behaviour with who you're with. Yeah, but I'm sure it is. I'm sure some of you have talked about some of the male acts who are towards the better looking end of the spectrum and what you'd like (laughs) to do. Um, You know, um, and it's, I think it's, so I think that what we need to make sure we do as an industry is that we're realistic about where the lines are, but that we respect that the lines are going to be in different places for different people, I suppose. Definitely, definitely. Um, But I think it's interesting you mentioning about um, what you were wanting to do as a promoter, because some of the things that you'd mentioned were things that I just don't, don't even think about. And then I thought, God, maybe I should, you know, about things like, getting home on a night, being able to get yeah. back. And, you know, I've walked through Manchester, you know, at ridiculous hours of the night coming back from gigs and stuff and not even giving it two, two thoughts because I, I just mm, don't. Mm. I don't know whether that's because um, I'm probably not a target as a as a fat, scary-looking woman uh, <laughs> that I don't get targeted. Um, so... There are times when I take it for granted. I forget that yeah. actually it is a yeah. dangerous world out there. Um, yeah. So it was. It was. But by the same token, as well, though, we need to. I think what we need to do as an industry, as well, though, is is you know, is we need to. It needs to be a meritocracy, and and sometimes what will happen is, and and we both know this will happen is that some particularly i think female acts but i'm it may happen with male acts as well sometimes you get female acts who aren't that good getting booked because they look good um and because either because the promoter wants to spend a bit of time near them or the promoter thinks that's for want of a better phrase that's a bit of eye candy for the poster definitely um and you know and and thankfully i don't think i've ever fallen foul of that but um or if i have i'm deluding myself i don't don't think i have (laughs) um but um you know i think that there are things we can do to clean house that are quite simple and those kinds of things are, are among them but i was just interested to know really what what goes on because i think there's that thing of if it's if there are things that are the worst kept secrets in comedy you know, and, and we've we've I've talked on this pod before about you know the the persistent rumours about Stephen yeah. K. Amos and, yeah. and Hardeep Singh Kohli and yeah. Ted Elias the other week was alluding to stuff on his own timeline. If those things are out there, why are we still all afraid to talk about them? You know, and 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 and, and, and there's all right, there's li- libel laws and defamation and all that kind of stuff, and I get that. But if if people are talking about them in such an open way that it becomes obvious then that then let's just talk about it i suppose is what i would get at but anyway i'm getting sidelined a bit now um <laughs> so i'm going off on which is what happens with me and you talk um it is getting, it absolutely getting is. back to to mental health and comedy then because we've chatted now for about 45 minutes so you've been doing comedy you know we won't count the last four months because fucking hell you know but you've been doing comedy for coming up to about 18 months before yeah. the lockdown um after a lifetime of, you know, all of your adult life dealing with various mental health issues, mm. would first question: Would you say that um, obviously it shaped what kind of comedian you are? Because it has to, because it shapes what kind of person you are. Yeah. Do you think it has helped you be someone who is more capable of being funny on stage to have had those issues? Yeah. And if so, why? Okay. Because it, I think it builds character ultimately Mm. um you know if you've dealt with trauma um you know battles with your own mental health your own demons i think it helps you build character i think it also makes you um i think it gives you a better perspective on stuff Mm -hmm. um and i and also for me personally for me it does help me take the piss out of myself because I've, I've done quite a lot of, you know, soul searching and navel gazing because mm. of um, mental health. So I feel I've got a decent perspective on who I am 
So I'm mm. quite assured in when I go on on stage that I can pretty much say anything and other people can be horrified by what I say sometimes. I'm like, I don't know what your problem is. But that, mm. I think that's because I, I've dealt with, I've been at rock bottom. Mm. I've dealt with some really, really awful situations. So just telling some funny stories on stage is nothing really. You're you're already at peace with those kind of things yeah, because they're massively. the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, massively. Um, you know, I've, I've been genuinely trying to write about, um, uh, and and I've I've made a joke about trying to write about it, but I've genuinely been trying to write about um, men men's sexual health issues, so like erectile dysfunction and yeah. premature ejaculation and the kind of stuff that no one tells you about until you're in your forties. Yeah, um, and and it you know and and my wife was you know said why would you want to talk about that sort of stuff on stage? And it's like, well, why wouldn't I? <laughs> why wouldn't I want to? And yeah. people don't get that mentality of, like, fuck it, because actually, A, it can be really funny. Really B, funny. the honesty of it could yeah. be really funny. And also, if I've come to terms with an issue, occasionally having suffered from an issue like that, the fact that I might go on stage and, and talk about that in a way that leaves me open and bare but is funny might be the difference on the night between me being remembered and me not being remembered. And if that's and, and that's it. what I think that's all we, all we really want, isn't it? A to be found funny and B B maybe to be remembered. Yes. Yeah. Um so would you say that your um so obviously you've said it shaped what kind of comedian you are. Again, we talked about this with kind of exercise and food and mental health earlier, but if you re- substitute the exercise and, men- and and food for comedy has it become something where your mental health has obviously helped you deliver the comedy you're delivering? Has that in return then helped your mental health or has it ever harmed your mental health? There's been the odd occasion when it's been a little bit busy mm. and that starts to, I start to get the, a little bit of anxiety. But generally, it has really improved my mental health. It's made so, sort of generally, the workload of holding down a full-time job, yeah. wife, mother, yeah. or yeah. partner, mother, all those things. and then yeah. and then fitting in maybe three or four gigs in a week. Yes, which all the all of the young comics out there will laugh at now if they're listening to this. They will. But when when you're in our situation, when you've got a home to run and a job to do, yeah. daytime job, you know, anything more than two gigs a week is is potentially backbreaking with the it travel. It really is. And, um, you know, just not seeing your kids. And... So that's logistics then. That's not comedy per se. That's just no, logistics. It's not, yeah, it's not actually co- co- comedy itself. Um, I just really love it. I just really enjoy mm. it. It's something that, you know, you feel that adrenaline just before you go on and then that adrenaline when you come off mm. and, you know, you're feeling that buzz. And it's just, it's a really lovely feeling. And I think that's massively helped and boost helped and boosted my my mental health massively it's been it's been incredible it really has in terms of yourself we, we haven't talked to i haven't really talked to anyone about self-esteem i suppose as a concept yet on here and over 13 episodes in we've talked about general mental health or whatever but would you say your self-esteem is in a better place than when you started comedy or, or like a, a sense of um your self-worth, your validation or whatever, is that, has that changed? Is it worse, better? No. <laughs> um, huh? I still have massive... I'll ask anyone that again then. <laughs> no, no. I've got massive imposter syndrome. You know, yeah. I constantly wonder why I get booked for stuff. Mm-hmm. I get embarrassed when there's, like, money concerned. Um, I get embarrassed when people say that they've enjoyed my stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm still like, oh yeah, I'm just a bit of a dickhead that goes on stage and does some mm-hmm. funny stories, and you know, it's like I'm proud of when I, when I sort of come away from it, I'm proud of what I've done. But yeah, I have massive imposter syndrome. It's funny you mention that because I, again, so last night was my final week on Meryl O'Rourke's writing yeah. course, and and she, so she did a she does an exercise at the end, which I won't I won't give away for anybody else doing the course because I think it's a really nice exercise, but it involves kind of the um, some positive reinforcement for everybody on the course from from her and from the other people on the course about their 
best attributes okay, yeah. what people perceive to be their best attributes and I, I sort of thanked her at the end of the course and said I wanted to thank her because particularly during lockdown imposter syndrome had become a big thing for me mm. and and for those who I mean it's, it's a bit of a buzzword but for those who don't understand it it's just that feeling that one day you're going to get found out and people yeah. are going to say you've got no right being in this business you're a fucking clown <laughs> and not in the right way get out basically and don't don't let the door hit you on the ass yeah. the way out no one's ever going to book you and the, the re and and she sort of said but the thing about imposter syndrome in comedy is that actually it's a real thing because people say no all the fucking time yeah, people do. don't even reply to your email when you're asking for a gig all the time people will say unkind things about you yeah. all the time and think that it's feedback people will slag you off behind your back Mm -hmm. all the time it's one of those industries where and I've talked a lot about the supportive side of comedy and people having been supportive to my face what I haven't talked about is the unknowns of what people might say behind your back because it doesn't bear thinking about because I know what I might say about there's not many acts I'll slag off behind their back because I generally generally respect most comedians but there are a couple um, that I will slag off all the time because they fucking deserve it (laughs) but but, um, I think that that it is an industry where people are opinionated people are vocal it's their job to be opinionated and vocal so there's gonna be that kind of stuff we see on the forums discussion debate argument all the time all the time Um, because people have such strong opinions and then it only takes one one incident like that to really potentially rattle you i've had a couple where i've i've put noses out of joint with mm. my opinions about stuff that have really rattled me for a good few days where I've felt like my stomach's fallen out of my arse and oh yeah. shit what have I done am I ever going to get booked mm. again I, I genuinely at one point thought that a promoter had blacklisted me until he he mess, private messaged me to say that that had been a joke and uh, and not you know just to fucking toughen up a bit um, yeah. so I think I think that there's there's a lot to be said for that but it's a real fucking thing. It's a cutthroat industry. It really, you know. Is. What I know from booking thing. gigs, I can put a, a, a an, an unpaid slot up, a ten minute unpaid spot where you might get a pint of beer as payment, yeah. and you're going to have to travel. And I'll get thirty or forty people applying for it, and that's like a a tin pot little crappy gig somewhere. So the guys that are offering decent money, you know, it's it's they haven't got time to reply to everyone. No, and I, I think I said to you when we first started that I was going to reply to everyone who ever replied to my gigs. I was like, I'm going to send a, going to send a decline to everyone yeah. who I'm not going to offer a spot to, and that lasted for one gig. Yeah. It's just it's impossible. You can't do it. It's an impossible task. There's yeah. that many, um, and I've I've very much been a realist on on those kind of scores. Um, mm. There's been a couple of occasions where I've. I got um, a, a review from Peter Fox, and he's, you know, we're, we're friends now. He's, he's, he's a lovely bloke, but his review, mm. it floored me. I was absolutely mm. devastated because mm. it's the first time I'd heard constructive criticism. And mm. to be honest, what he'd said was fair. It was yeah, it wasn't fair. scathing because he, he never is. He's never no, unpleasant. Not at all. Um, um, but I just felt really disappointed because, you know, you want to impress people. So, yeah. and it, it has made me then think about what I do and my set and those kind of things. So it's again, learning, but yeah, I felt, I think you probably were there when the day I found it, I was absolutely happy. You're in bits, I remember. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was yeah. awful. But yeah. yeah if know, Peter's listening, you're a prick. You're upset. Uh, Gary. I'm get him. <laughs> I've said that. He's never, oh, he's God. never reviewed me and I've just called him a prick, but no. He's never <laughs> oh, um, big mistake. <laughs> um, um, but yeah. Two questions then to wrap up. Yes. Right? So and so, I always ask the same question at the end. I'll save that. But I'm gonna I'm gonna introduce another one. I think that might become a regular question. If you could change one thing about the comedy industry, any one thing, magic one time, what would you change? The ability to progress mm. in a more sort of fluid way and make it easier. That that's what I'd mm-hmm. probably do. Yeah. Yeah, uh, because the, to, to to sometimes it's hard to know where you are on, on the ladder. Yeah, I suppose, isn't it? And, yeah, and it's really difficult to say. Well, should I apply for that? Or will one I get step forward, ten steps back. Sometimes, and, and um, yeah. Or you know, am I am I just holding back a little bit too much? Yeah, 
Oh. And, no, and no one's really going to tell you that's the thing no, as well. If you apply for a paid not. spot, and that goes back to what I was just talking about. If you apply for a paid spot and it's way above your level, they're just no going to delete the email. Don't be a dickhead. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's, it is a tricky one, and maybe that's something that we we can um, explore in future podcasts, actually. with I'm, gonna, I'm potentially trying to get some promoters on at some point and just get their side of things. The um, evil ones. <laughs> the evil ones. Um, and then the, the other side of that, then. So, obviously, that's what you won't change about comedy. But And this is the question I've asked everyone on the pod, except myself last week when I did my own Q&A. The answer, of course, is no, I wouldn't. Of course, I wouldn't give up comedy. Um, but if you um, were offered the chance for, let's let's throw it all into the mix, okay? So your mental health, and then consequently your physical health, um, everything linked to your mental health, could be optimized, positive. You feel great mentally and physically for the rest of your days until you die a happy old age and you peacefully in your sleep, right? Yeah. But the cost of that is that you don't get up and do comedy again. You never get on the stage and tell jokes again. You don't talk about Sad Cave. You don't talk about Piers Morgan. You don't do any of that shit, right? Would you take that deal? No. What a balls. <laughs> I, I love it. I, I I love doing it, and you know, it's it's a good um, kind of trade off, I guess. <laughs> Being a bit mm. wonky in the brain, if you can get up on stage and make people laugh, because it's mm. it's incredible to get that instant feedback from people. It's um yeah no of course I and I won't get to hang out with so many like cool people as well mm. um so no mm. and because I'm not giving it up you'd get sick of hearing me talk about it when you weren't doing oh, it oh god it'd be <laughs> awful <laughs> yeah. well do, 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 as a little postscript though do you because this podcast was set up the premise of this podcast is that I genuinely think that a pretty much everyone who gets on stage to do comedy must have some kind of mental health yeah. condition. I genuinely think that. But I also genuinely think that they aren't, it's not necessarily much more prevalent than in, in day-to-day life. It's just that we're open about it and aware of it. Yeah, 100%. Do you think that's true? I don't think we're all freaks. <laughs> some no, of us are freaks. Just, but I don't all... think we, we're all freaks, but I think yeah. that uh, we, we've all got those issues, but we've all found a way of navigating our way through yeah them by by talking about shit on stage in a funny way yeah um yeah good. absolutely right. that's i totally agree on that one yeah so ah, fantastic so um i think we're probably done um marvelous which is good so and, and anyone listening this is basically what there's there's only three of us in our team at work and this is what <laughs> our third wheel who isn't in comedy has to listen to all the yeah. time this is pretty typical of the sort of shit we talk about she fucking um, hates us. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what else she's put up with it she, oh, there's two ways she can do it she blocks us all out or she actually joins comedy which you know I can't I she's gonna she'd just block us out she's just gonna get those noise, noise cancelling headphones in that's all that happen <laughs> Yeah. Poor Debbie. Right. So listen, Kerry, um I mean it's, it feels weird to say goodbye to you when I'll probably talk to you in about ten minutes about some work. Yeah, probably. Um thank you for coming on. You know I love you to bits. Thank and, you for having um, me. It's been an absolute pleasure. And um go and do some fucking work, you lazy cow. I will. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, Kerry. See you thank later. You. Bye. So that was episode 13, Kerry Robinson. Um, hopefully you enjoyed that. I think, we, as I say, we covered a lot of ground and um, it was, uh, you could tell, I think, that we're comfortable speaking with each other. We talk all the time. So hopefully we didn't have anything that um, didn't feel like it had context. We didn't have any in-jokes or anything like that. Um, and hopefully you managed to keep up with our train of thought, although the two of us talk about comedy so often and the industry so often that sometimes it's easy to, to um might be easy to jump in halfway through a previous conversation but i think we avoided those pitfalls um i, I thoroughly recommend anyone who um wants to find out about kerry does look her work up i think she's got uh, a much brighter in future in comedy than she probably thinks herself because of those issues we talked about in the podcast but i think um she's a very very capable comedian and um and is 
definitely ready to move up to that level of more regular paid work so any promoters listening if my opinion counts for shit which it probably doesn't i would be booking her all the time and actually i have recently booked her for the first gig i'm able to pay her for with anything other than shiny buttons and a bucket split um so um you know it's nice to be able to be one of those people who's able to give her a fee for for a, a 20 minute set which is, is more than deserved and she's more than capable of doing so i'm looking forward to that um so thanks for listening please do spread the word about the podcast i'm getting really nice feedback from the the listeners that we have which is still a modest number but it's a number i'm happy with I'm happy as just to know that it's not just me talking to myself and no one's ever listening to be honest but if you do like the podcast there are ways you can let other people know let them know just share it on facebook or on twitter or leave a nice review view on any of the the channel streaming services whatever you listen to it for and and maybe let me know i've had some really nice messages from people both who are in the industry who or who aren't saying that they're enjoying the podcasts that maybe they're looking forward to them each week and you know um i've had some really nice messages from from um friends of mine who've started listening to the podcast um who probably in the past have been sick of me talking about comedy but they're now hearing maybe a more serious conversation from me um so i know claire and martine are people that listen and and shout out to you guys i hope you're well uh, matt smith um who uh answered asked the anonymous question last week about masturbation um he uh, he's a regular listener I uh, hope you're well, Matt, um, and uh, a few other people from within the industry have been in touch as well. So really appreciate that. Uh, do keep listening, like, subscribe, share, spread the word. And also, if you're an act and you'd like to be involved, do get in touch. Drop me a DM on Facebook and, and I'll send you the, the form that I send to people to make sure that we've got something we can talk about. But always on the lookout for new acts and, and new conversations. So really appreciate it. Take care, and we'll be back next week, hopefully with another guest that you'll find interesting. So take care. This has been Sparks of Madness, and I've been Graham Rayner. Thank you. Sparks of Madness is hosted by Graham Rayner and is a gag-and-bone-man comedy production.